Good morning. We're going to draw today. Some of you like that. I know. Uh, for those of you that haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John. And as Keith said earlier, I, I, I don't have no voice, but I'm right on the edge. And I was like, I think I got enough for the message, but I definitely don't have enough to sing as well. So, uh, but I couldn't help myself a little bit over there. So glad you're here with us today. Um, and uh, as, as Keith did mention also, uh, we have uh, Meet Our Church Family after the service today. If you are new around here, want to know more about our beliefs, our mission, our strategy, all that stuff, uh, we're going to talk about that. You can hang out over here. And I do have a voice enough to do that. And he said it was going to be an hour, and it will be. At least that's the plan. And as of yesterday, I had a hard stop on that class <laughs> because I had to get home to watch the Bills play at 1 o'clock. But they just moved the game because of a blizzard in Buffalo, believe it or not. And they moved it to tomorrow. So now I got no cap on the end of that class. So I hope you brought snacks is all I'm saying. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll keep that short. But I'm glad you're, you've joined us today. We're talking and starting off the year talking about the importance of our relationships this year. Because when it really gets down to it, relationships set the tone for our life at all times. Like every, this is what we said last week. Everything in your life can be going great, but if your relationships are in the tank, your life is in the tank, and everything can be going terribly around you, but you ha if you have good, close, wonderful people around you and you feel like you're in fellowship with them, it makes all the difference and carries you through all that stuff. And so um, we're looking at how to have the right kind of relationships, and it's one of the key reasons our church even exists. We started Carolina Family Church a little, uh, little well, now, almost seven years ago. Uh, Jess and I, because we looked at the relationships in our community and we said, God has the answer to this. And so we've got to get the word out about what it means to honor him in our relationships. And so we're starting doing that here. We're doing it through the family center and we're just ramping up more and more and more. And so last week we talked about how to be people of peace. And Jess put it on. We have this little board in our kitchen with little replaceable letters. I don't know if you've ever seen those, but like it's kind of made of felt and the little the plastic letters that go in there. And the, the one this week was off of our message um, last weekend, which was that we are going to be people of peace, and we're going to do that by being humble and gentle and patient. And all of those things are the keys to having peace in our relationships. So if you missed that last week, it's an important foundation for what we're talking about. So I'd encourage you to check that out. <clears throat> um, but one of the things that Jess mentioned this week is she said, I'm trying to be patient. That was the specific things that she was saying. I'm trying to be patient, but it was a real struggle for her this week. Like at work, was, there was a lot of tests of patience for her this week. And she said, I don't understand. Like God just needs, I, I'm just, I want patience. And I was reminded of a quote from, I think it's from Bruce Almighty, um, where Morgan Freeman plays God. And, and he, says, he says, if you ask God for patience or if you pray for patience, do you think that God gives you patience or does he give you opportunities to be patient, right? So, so it's one of those things where it's like, well, I better be careful what I pray for. But here's what I think happens. I think God gives us both when we pray for that. He gives us opportunities to be patient and he also gives us patience in those scenarios. And so Maybe that was the tone of your week, and we're making the commitment to say we want to be people of peace. Today, I want to take that a step further, because last week was very generic, and I kept it very generic on purpose. You know, how to be a person of peace with anybody, with somebody who uh, is in your family or somebody that you see in public, with somebody who's a believer or somebody who's not a believer. How do you continue to have peace regardless of those relationships? This week, as we continue in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to hone in a little bit more 
and talk specifically about our relationships with other believers. So how do we have not only peace, but how do we have unity with other Christians as we walk through life? Now, as Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, we talked about some of this context last week, but you have in Ephesus, and this is actually also true of churches throughout the New Testament that Paul writes letters to. It's true in Philippi. It's true in Corinth. It's true in the area of Galatia. But the Ephesians are a melting pot. Their church has people that are, have been Jewish their entire life and have accepted Christ as the Messiah. Also has people who have been, had been Gentiles, who have been part of pagan religions, worshiping Greek gods or, or Roman gods or whatever else. Ephesus is a port town, so there's tons of different kinds of people there. And so you have all these people trying to coexist and live in unity and harmony with one another who never lived in unity and harmony with each other before. So now they're in the church and they're all just thrown into this pot. How do they maintain peace and how do they maintain unity? I think we can relate to this on on a lot of different levels, not necessarily Jew-Gentile stuff, but we certainly live in a melting pot of a society where there are lots of different opinions and ideas. And we have to, and even in our church, there's lots of different backgrounds and lots of different worldviews and lots of different things. And so the question is, how do we live in peace and how do we live in unity? That's what we're going to take a look at today, because believers are supposed to show to the world love for one another. That is what we're supposed to show to the world. Jesus said this, one of the, um, he said this in John chapter 3, or 13. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's talking specifically about their internal love, okay? The, 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 the love of the disciples for each other. And he said, this is how the world is going to know that you're my disciple. When they look at the way that you interact and live with the other believers, they are going to see love. Now, my question is, when our society looks at the church today, is that what they see? Sometimes, more often than not, I'm afraid the answer is no. I think that they, I think the world looks at us as Christians and they see people who fight with each other, who argue with each other, who judge one another, who condemn one another publicly who can't seem to agree on anything, who faction, who split, who divide. I think that is, from just an outsider's perspective, that's what they see from the church. Now, I hope that in a church like ours, where I think that love is the tone and unity is the tone of our church, we know it's not that. We know it's different than that. We know that it's supposed to be different than that. But that's not necessarily what the world is seeing from Christians. And so we have to figure out for our part how to maintain peace and unity and promote that around us. So here's what we're going to do, okay? Uh, We're going to do better. We're going to do better than a lot of other Christians have done. And we are going to take this really seriously. Unity is really a serious issue. Paul took it very, very seriously because he was looking at all of these churches and he was seeing all of this disunity, all this trouble that's happening between people. And he knows that has to get cleared up so that when the world looks at them, they will see that they are disciples of Jesus. 
So with that context and what's going on in Ephesians, let's continue our reading today. We're going to do three verses today, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Let me just read them in their entirety first. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That's a dense few verses, so here's what I want to do. I wanna, I'm going to do a chart. I like charts. I come by this honest, by the way. I, I told you last week that my, my parents both have health issues going on. My, my mom is, has had surgery. She's trying to decide where to go to have surgery. They made their decision, but before they made their decision, um, they sent me a full-on Excel spreadsheet with multiple doctors and every single point of care and bedside manner and procedure and lodging. I mean, down to like lodging, travel expenses. They had it all laid out. And I looked at that spreadsheet and I was like, this is beautiful. <laughs> this is how you make a decision. Yeah, I, love, I love a good chart or spreadsheet. So, uh, so here's what we're going to do. Here's, here's the mentality that we are supposed to have as believers I had a little trouble with this marker last time I drew, so let's see if it's, if it's got any ink left in it. I should, probably should have tested that, sorry. Um, but we're just going to do a two-sided chart. Hey, look at that. All right, and on one side, I'm going to put commonalities, if I can spell that correctly. Forgive my handwriting as usual. Commonalities, and over here I'm going to put differences. All right, so now let's, uh, let's talk about what Paul discusses as the commonalities. We're just going to go down through here and talk real quickly about each one. It won't necessarily be in exactly the same order as he put it, because I want to show something. Um, but let's start with our commonalities. Um, and in the first verse, he says there is one spirit. So we have same spirit. And the reason he says that is because you and me, Jew, Gentile, whatever, wherever we come from, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we've received the Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who lives with me lives with you. He's not different. He's the same in you as he is in me. Sometimes people treat him as if he's like somehow different between people, but he's not. He's the same and he's always consistent with Scripture because he inspired it. And so there's no difference. You and I have the same Spirit in us, not me more than you or you more than me. Same spirit. How much we follow him and how much we listen to him may be different, but the same spirit lives in you that lives in me. He said it is the same body and the same spirit. So it also means same church. That's what he means when he says body. Okay? Same church. Now, obviously, we look here and we're like, yeah, 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 of course, we're part of the same church. We're talking about everybody who has the Holy Spirit, everybody who has put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation is part of the same church. We may meet in different places. We may have different understandings of how to interpret Scripture or whatever. But if we have put our faith in Jesus, all of us, no matter what denomination or what, whatever, if we put our faith in Jesus and trusted in Jesus for salvation, we have the same spirit and we're part of the same church. And then he says the same calling and hope. Squeezing in here the same calling and hope. We all have the same hope. When we were called into this family, we were called into this church and, and received the Spirit, we have the same hope. We're all looking forward to, presumably, or should be, all looking forward to the same thing. 
All of our hope is in the same place. Same spirit, same church, same calling and hope. All right, that's verse one. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Then in verse five, he says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So one Lord, which is same Jesus. The same Jesus that you put your faith in is the same Jesus I put my faith in. And I know sometimes people are like, people like their, their like version of Jesus. Like, well, I like the table flipping Jesus. And they're like, oh, I like the healing people Jesus. And others are like, I like, I like the calling the, 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 the Pharisees a brood of vipers. I like that Jesus or whatever. But he's the same Jesus. He's one person, okay? So we have all put our faith in the same person. Same Jesus. Uh, what did he say? One Lord, one faith. So same faith. All right, we have put our faith in Jesus for salvation. Nothing else, no one else. Not ourselves, not another person, not work, nothing like that. We put our faith in Jesus. Same Jesus, same faith. And then he says, one baptism. And I think, and there's some debate about this, but I think he's talking about water baptism, the actual profession of your faith, the physical expression of your identity in Christ. So I'm gonna say same identity in Christ. Sorry, that says I'm out of space. Marker's too big. Same identity in Christ. We're on the same team. I like to think of the analogy, and it's football season. Congratulations, Michigan. Uh, I like to think about when we are baptized, it is, in, in essence, putting on the jersey of the team and saying publicly, I belong to Christ. My identity is in Christ, and this is important for our discussion today. My primary identity is in Christ. First and foremost, number one, I am, I am in Christ. That's who I am. And so that's what baptism is. So same spirit, same church, same calling and hope, same Jesus, same faith, same identity in Christ. And then in verse six, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Same Father. Same Father over us through us, and in us, all. We all have the same father. We are all part of the same family. You, you, see, you see what, when he does this list, do you see what Paul does? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each verse, he brings in a member of the Trinity, and he wants us to see that we are united and not only are we are united, we are, he is united, and we are united with him, and so we should be united with one another. It's, it's a, it's, this is what we have in common, and this is what is primary. And it's a reverse build, all right? It starts with the Spirit, goes to the Father. So we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's like building. Now, here's the question now. That's the commonalities. So... Where's the list of differences? What, what do we put on that side? Well, this is what I'm going to put on this side. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Or, or maybe we'll just say minor or insignificant. Here's the problem that they had 
It's a, what the, it's a problem a lot of churches had when they first got started, which is why Paul had to write a lot of what he had to write to them. And it's the same problem we have today. As Christians, we turn our differences into major points. Or we turn our opinions or our perspectives into major parts of our identity when they're not. This is who we are. This is not who you are. This is who you are. This is not who you are. Yet when I take minor things and I turn them into major things in my life, when I take a secondary identity in my life and I turn it into my primary identity and I elevate it above this, what happens in our relationships and what happens in our church is division and disunity. We always have to remember that this comes first. And so we must always maintain our unity in the spirit, in the bond of peace, instead of letting differences of opinion or perspective or experience divide us as the body of Christ. So that when people look at us, they see our love for one another and they know that we're followers of Jesus. And they see him correctly. This is really important and it's really practical. I don't need to tell you this. You already know this. But I want to give you one example and something we need to be really aware of. Has anybody noticed that 2024 is an election year? Has anybody noticed that 2024 is an election year? It is. Now, some of you might be new around here. Some of you have been around, and I hope you already know this. Some of you might be new around here, and you need to know something. We don't talk about politics publicly in our church at all. I will, I will not talk about it from stage. I will not talk about this side or that side. I will not talk about Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Green Party or unaffiliated. I won't talk about any of that. Because that is a secondary identity. But Christians are guilty, hand over fist, of taking a political identity and raising it above this identity and then dividing, or in often cases that causes us to, to, to have opinions that are unbiblical, but it will take that and will raise that above this identity and then divide with each other over politics or over a party and create disunity within the body. And people are going to, that is going to happen so much over the next year. It's going to happen so much and the world is going to be watching and while the world is, is watching us do that as Christians, they are not going to believe the message of Jesus. It is going to push people further and further away. And so we are not going to have those kinds of conversations publicly and we're not going to pick a side and we're not going to do any of that. We're just going to teach the Bible. We're just going to teach what the scripture says because we will not divide over a minor identity. We will not divide over a secondary identity. We will be united in our primary identity, which is this. One, same spirit, same church, same calling and hope, same Jesus, same faith, same identity in Christ, same Father who is over us and through us and in us. That's what holds us together. Now, we do have differences of opinion. We do see things differently. We do vote differently. We do all of those things. Yes, there's tons and tons of differences in those areas. But if we choose this as our primary identity, 
then when we have those conversations privately or when we have those conversations with other, other believers, they are all done within the umbrella of this. They are all done in an environment or should be done in an environment where we know that we love each other and we are committed to this over whatever it is that we're talking about with each other. So it's secondary. It's explicitly secondary. It actually makes me think about um, some of the conversations that I have with, with Gary. Um, make Gary perk up. Because uh, Gary, uh, Gary's a Dolphins fan. Uh, okay. And I, I know, I know you've got a Bills fan right in front of you, by the way, just down to your right, Gary. You got another one over here in the middle. He's got his hat on today. All right. Is he showing up there? Right. So you, all right, just so you know. And, and that's a rivalry that runs deep. Okay. That's a rivalry that runs deep. There's lots of, you know, I don't know, Duke, Carolina, whatever you have. Uh, Panthers and nobody. I don't know. So you, uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But every time we talk about it, and the Bills played the Dolphins last week, and, um, and so it was a big game, it was an important game. And so before the service, Gary came over and he, you know, wished, wished us luck in the game and just talked about it. And here's one thing about Gary I want you to know. Every time that we talk about that or we talk about the game, he always finishes with the, with the same thing, or almost always finishes with the same thing. After we talk about it, give each other a little bit of a hard time. He says, but at the end of the day, thankfully, it's just a game. You know, our, my identity as a Bills fan or his identity as a Dolphins fan, or, you know, I know this feels a little trivial, but that's, that is way down the list, way down the list. It's not even close to this. And so no matter what our, our affiliations are, no matter what our, our choices are, our parties are, or our loyalties are, or whatever they may be, and we always have to remember as believers, this is number one. And nothing over here, whatever it is, not that it doesn't matter, it's just that it's secondary, Anything that's over here that defines us should never, ever, 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 ever put a rift in what's over here. Always this first. Always this primary. And so what that does is it does allow us to have these conversations. I'm not saying don't talk about politics or don't talk about your opinions on things or issues or candidates or whatever. But if you do, make a commitment to always do it within the veil of this. So that love is never sacrificed, so that unity is never sacrificed, so that peace is never sacrificed, and you got to make sure that the relationship exists in such a way that you can do that and maintain all of that, all right? What happens to us, and this is the problem, and I think this is, this is a principle that we can take and, and apply to all of our relationships, doesn't matter what it is, is that the moment that I take somebody who is supposed to be my teammate and I turn them into my enemy, immediately the unity of the relationship begins to erode. And it erodes quickly. And so this may be true, you know, with us and our church, and, and, but you can take this to any of your relationships. The minute you start looking at your spouse as your opponent, you're headed down. You're spiraling down immediately. As soon as you start looking at your parent as your enemy, that relationship is beginning to erode. As soon as you look at your children as your enemy, you're going to make major failures as a parent when you start looking at them that way. As soon as you start looking at your boss or your teammate or your classmate or your neighbor as an enemy, that relationship will erode. And so some, sometimes that's difficult in life. <laughs> but certainly in the church, that should never, ever, ever happen. We should never take our teammates and begin to look at them as enemies. And I want you to make sure that you're not doing that with anybody within our body or within our church or really any believer especially the ones that are closest to you in your life. Now, part of the solution is remembering that we are partners. That's what this list helps us to do. 
to remember that we are partners and we are teammates. It's what Paul wants the Ephesians to do. Regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you are now one in Christ, in the body of Christ. The same spirit, same church, same calling and hope, same Jesus, same faith, same identity in Christ, same Father who is over us, through us, and in us. And all those other things are secondary. So be united first and foremost above all things. He says it also to the, to the Corinthians. I want to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. He says this all over the place because it's very difficult to hold on to but they have to do it. If they are going to establish the church that has now exists 2,000 years later, then they have to remain one in the spirit, in the bond of peace. They have to remain unified with one another despite all of their differences so that when the world looks at them, they know that they're followers of Jesus so they can properly display the gospel to the world. And it's just as true now for us as it was for them then. This begins for us by choosing to be unified with God personally. Okay, so this begins with our recognition that we're sinful and that we're separated from God and that we need to be saved and forgiven. We need to be justified before God. And so the first thing that we have to do is trust Jesus for salvation. He died on the cross in our place. He rose again on the third day and we need to trust in him so that we do have same Jesus, same faith, same identity in Christ. We have to put our faith in Christ for salvation. We need to accept that. We need to allow the Spirit to take control of our life. Same Spirit, same church, same calling and hope. We need to personally make those decisions. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus for salvation before, you don't have to do anything in order to accept other than recognize you're a sinner and accept Jesus' gift on the cross. And you can do that today. And put your faith in Jesus for salvation today. That's the first commitment. And then the second commitment is to say, I want to live in love and make this my primary identity in my relationships with other people, particularly the church. And so I'm daily gonna choose this first. And this is important for me in every decision that I make, choosing this first. It's easy to allow secondary identities to drive our life, to drive our, our decisions, to drive our, our schedules and our purchases and our, and our relationships and all that. And our secondary identity drive that when our primary identity is supposed to drive that. And so maybe that's the decision or a recommitment that you need to make today. But we're making commitments throughout the series. Last week, you said, I'm going to commit to be a person of peace. This week, I want to encourage you to make the commitment to say, I will commit to be a person of unity. I will commit to be a person of unity. And that starts in the church with saying, this is my primary identity. And this is going to be the umbrella for all the relationships that I have. And I'm not going to allow a secondary identity or a secondary thing about myself to supersede this and to break up my unity and love and fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So my question for you today, is there something you need to shift? The mentalities or something you need to pray about? Is there a person that you have division with that you need to ask God to reorient you on this or to have this kind of conversation even with them because maybe they've reoriented or they need to reorient? Is there, is there a way that you're thinking about someone or maybe even about an entire group of people that you need to shift so that you can support the unity that Paul is talking about here that God wants to see in the church?
Is there a decision that you need to make here? Um, oftentimes at the end of, this is something that I was, I was taught early on as a pastor, is that one of the most powerful things you can do at the end of a message, besides a story that makes everybody cry, um, which I don't often do, <laughs> I don't like to emotionally manipulate, but nevertheless, uh, is, is to do at the end of a message, do an imagine if section. That was something I was taught early on. Get to the end of a message and say, imagine if we would do this. Right? Imagine if we would choose to love one another. We would choose to be unified. Imagine if we would choose this as our primary identity. And thankfully, I feel like as the pastor of our church, I don't need to do that because I think you're doing it for the most part. And I think we're doing this. We don't have, we don't have a lack of peace or a lack of unity or a lack of love in our church, I don't think. Maybe some little microcosms here and there just because humans are humans, but not, not on the whole. So I don't think I need to do that. But I do think specifically as I look at our culture and the way that people look at the church, the, the, way that, the way that things like social media can mess with and get in between and, and, and cause people to turn little things into massive things, or something like the you know, politics or the election or other things that are, that are going on right now, um, I think that because we are committed to this, we have a responsibility to shine a different light to the world. We have a responsibility and an opportunity right now in this time in history and also in this year and all to take this so seriously that we try to project this as much as we can. And so making conscious decisions, like maybe it's in a conversation you're having with someone to do that thing where you say, yeah, you know, but we may disagree on this, but here are some of the things we do agree, agree on. And to be conscious in your conversations with them about that, to show them something different. If, it, if it's something like a social media post and people are commenting or whatever and there's a lot of division, to, and, and you know those are believers or something, to jump into that comment and say, yeah, we, we may have differences on this, but here, here are some of the things we agree on. To try and take believers that may not be a part of our church where you see this might be happening with them, to try and take them and pull them back over to this side of the chart where you can, when you can, and to show to the world the best that we can. And, and I know it feels like this is a small group of people and there's this sea of humanity out there and what difference can I make? I won't tell the starfish story, but it, it, what difference can I make? We can do little bits here and there and to try and be a good example to our community and to the world of what Christian unity looks like. And to try and promote that and try and lead other people to it as we commit ourselves to it as well. It's a big thing, but it really, really, really matters. It really matters. Let me go back and reread what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so we need to commit ourselves to that. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the love that you've shown us. Jesus, you said that we are to love one another as you have loved us. So we look at you as the example of that. And the way you loved, you did, you looked at people that should have known better. You looked at religious leaders who should have shown a different example, should have behaved a different way, should have seen the scripture in a different way. And you challenged them directly. You led them, but it was, that was in love. That was in love. And you looked at people who were hurting and who were downcast and broken, 
and you helped them and you served them and you loved them, but you also put them on their way, put them on a different path. And so we see the way that you love Jesus. We see the way that you love us, the way that you give us a, a, a new hope and a new joy, a new identity, a new life, a new family. And we thank you for that. And we want to live in it and we want to walk in it. One spirit, one church, one hope in our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father who is over all and through all and in all. That binds us together. That holds us together. We are your sons and daughters. We are brothers and sisters. And in this world and in this life, God, we put on a lot of other identities, something as simple as a sports team, but it could be a lot of other things. Our ideologies, our experiences, our thoughts, our opinions, our choices and preferences and all those kinds of things, and we put those on as identities when all of those things have to come into submission to our primary identity, which is as your child. Forgive us for where we have allowed our differences and other things to divide us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Forgive us for when we've had those discussions or we've had those confrontations with people and we've allowed it to create a rift because we took that and we put it above what is primary. We are your children. You've brought us into your family and that's the most important thing. And we want to walk in faithfulness to you as you continue to teach us and as you challenge us and you change us. And it's not just our minds that you change or our lifestyles that you're, you change. It's ultimately our heart that you change to take us and, and bend us and, and mold us and transform us into people that accurately reflect Jesus. So help us to do that in all things, to remember who we are so that we're not doing this in any of our relationships. Help us to be firmly rooted in our identity in Christ. And then, Lord, we look at this world and we look at the church and we look at Christians and we're not being judgmental, but being realistic about this. And I know you see this, God, that you look at the church and there, there are so many things that are happening within the church in the public sphere that just don't look like Jesus and that are creating division and disunity within the church. And we know you don't want that. And so I pray that you can help all of us in whatever way we are capable to help move the needle and to be an example of love and unity even when we may disagree with someone. And that you also give us an opportunity to influence other believers or challenge or encourage other believers in the spirit to do the same. When they might just have their blinders on and they're not thinking and, and we can pull them back over to the side of that chart where they need to be. Where we can remind other believers of that we have a lot more in common than we have different. And that as we do that, as other, you lead other believers to do that, then maybe even just by a, a fraction of a percent, people would begin to look at the church and see something different. Would look at the church and when, when, they're, when they're asked, 
when you look at Christians, what do you see? That their answer would be love. Love for each other. And so we thank you for the opportunity to do that and to embrace that and to be that for the identity that you've given us in Christ. And as we step forward and make our commitments to you today, whatever those may be, to walk in that identity, we ask that you give us opportunities to minister and to serve others and to show them what your love is really like. We take all of this today, God, we put it in your hands and thank you. It's in your name we pray, amen.